following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In John chapter 1, in the next couple of weeks we'll look some at John chapter 1, we'll mix in some from Matthew really focus on Jesus' birth and what it means. So let me read. We're going to read um, John verses 1 through 14 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, I, I like Christmas. I'm, I'm really not a Scrooge. Um, well, maybe a little bit of a Scrooge. Uh, but one of the challenges uh, as a preacher is, you know, preaching Christmas messages year after year after year. And I've been doing this now for, I don't know, a really long time. And, you know, there's only really two, in, in two Gospels that really specifically talk about Jesus' birth. And so, um, you know, it gets kind of worn out. And the challenge is that we, uh, we become overly familiar. Uh, but I think that's one of the issues. But I think another issue is that we're oftentimes unclear about what we really are celebrating at Christmas. Uh, you know, we're, we're real clear on Easter. In Easter, we're celebrating the cross, Jesus' death, and the resurrection. Uh, clearly focused on what we're celebrating there, that uh, he was the sacrifice uh, for sin, that over, uh, sacrifice for our sin that gave us life. Um, another celebration we don't actually celebrate, what we should, is Pentecost. <laughs> and at Pentecost, we should be celebrating the arrival of the promised Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about the last few weeks. Uh, who brings us all the promised benefits of salvation. But what exactly do we celebrate at Christmas? Now, I know you know the answer, right? What we celebrate is Jesus' birth. Okay, that's, and that's true, and that's certainly a huge part of it. But actually, that's not really ultimately what we're celebrating. Um, we call it Advent because it's a time of Jesus coming, his arrival on earth, and that gets a little closer to the, the glory of Christmas. But really what we're celebrating, what we should be celebrating ultimately at Christmas is the incarnation, right? When God became flesh, as 
we just read about. The glory and wonder of this eternal God taking on flesh and blood. Uh, and that really is the fullest and deepest wonder of Christmas. But it's also the most difficult to celebrate, right? Um, you know, it's one thing to have kids dress up as Mary and Joseph and a flock of sheep and, you know, act out the nativity, right? We can kind of wrap our heads around that. Uh, when we, you know, we make Christmas cards, we make these beautiful pictures of the shepherd and the wise men coming to see Jesus. Like the cross, uh, his birth in the manger is tangible and visible, something we can grasp, right? Uh, when we try to think about celebrating the bigger meaning uh, that the infinite, eternal, transcendent God poured himself into human flesh, stepped into time and space, and became part of the very world he created, it's just hard to put that on a Christmas card, right? Um, it's hard to have kids dress up and look all cute and portray that, right? So, um, so sometimes we opt for the easier version. But the problem is that when we when we only focus on Jesus' birth and don't really reflect to the, the mystery and wonder of the Incarnation, um, Christmas is not what it should be. And maybe we, we run out of things to celebrate because we haven't really plunged the depth and wonder of what it all means. So uh, this morning I want to do that from John, really help us think about what the Incarnation means, what Christmas really is about, what it is we really have to celebrate in the birth of Jesus. Um, and my hope is that as we contemplate, as we think about it, you will be moved to celebrate Christmas in, in a more profound and meaningful way and with even greater joy. Um, however, a word of warning, uh, you already know I kind of get excited about Greek verb tenses. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is even worse because this is like pure on, straight on theology, right? So beware. And for those of you who uh, don't get why I get so excited about this, I'm just sorry. Um, but it's, 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 it's doctrine, it's truth about God that is vital for our faith. So what, how do we do this? How do we start thinking, comprehending, grasping this, this thing of the incarnation, this God who became man? What's, what's behind that? Well, John, in John chapter 1, really unpacks and looks at, at what this is about. Uh, he is writing about Christmas in John chapter 1. Even though there's no Joseph and there's no Mary and there's no manger, he's really talking about Christmas. He's talking about this great event when God left heaven and came to earth. But he does it in very different words and terms. Um, and so what I'd like to do, we're going to look at, at John chapter 1, a lot of the first couple of verses, and then we're going to pick on some things uh, from the rest of the section. Uh, but the first thing to really understand what the Incarnation is about is we have to really think some about God's essential nature. What is this God that we worship? What is he like? Who is he? Um, and when I talk about his essential nature, what I mean by that and what I want to try to explain are the qualities that God must have to be God. Or to put it another way, what, God, what makes God who he is in his own being? What makes God who he is in his own being? In other words, if you took away everything, all of creation, all that he made, time and space, and you just, just God, what, what was he like then? Who was he? What, what is there about his nature that we can think about? Um, and the reason this is important, we think about what God is like in relation to himself, is that oftentimes we, we, when we talk about God or we, we explain his attributes, we talk about things uh, in his attributes, his characteristics, that actually relate about who God is in relationship to what he made. 
Now, these things are absolutely true about God. They're attributes that are inherently a part of his being. But they're not what I would call essential. Right? They're not about what God is to himself. They're about what God is to us. So we talk about things like God being holy. Right? And the word holy has the idea of being set apart from all other beings or things. Being unique. Uh, being sacred, which means he's not like common everyday things. Um, but the thing is, if you look at God before he created anything, when he was just God alone in the universe, what did it mean for him to be holy, to be set apart? Right? You following that? Set apart from what? Right? If he's the only one, he's not actually set apart from anything. He's all that there is. And so holiness is an attribute of God that relates to his relationship to us, not to himself. Right? He's not unique to himself if he's the only thing in existence. Um, so it's not that it's not an important doctrine, but it's not, it's not essential. It doesn't really describe what God is in his, in his own being. He's not, he, uh, his holiness kind of falls short. We can talk about other things like uh, we can talk about God being omnipresent, right? Everywhere present. That he fills all of time and space. And that's what we like to talk about, that God is not a God who's limited. He's infinite in time and space. And if you go anywhere in the universe, God is there fully and, and completely. He fills it all. He fills all of history. But, of course, those things are attributes that are meaningless if you go all the way back to the beginning when there was just God. Because he created time and space. And before he created those things, they didn't exist, right? There was nothing for God to fill. There was no history for him to inhabit. Right? So that really is a, an attribute that relates to who God is to us and to his creation, not who he is to himself. Right? He's not omnipresent to himself. Okay, and if that's the case, I'm omnipresent because I'm omnipresent to me. I'm always where I am. Well, people would disagree with that, but I think it's true. <laughs> All right, so, so you see what I mean by essential? I mean, what is God to himself when you strip away, when, when you go all the way back before, before the beginning of time when it was just God? What was he to himself? Uh, his essential being, his essential self. Before there was a creation to fill with his presence or controlled by his power, or to be set apart from by his holiness, or to know and understand with his omniscience, right? What was God? What, what, what are his characteristics that he is in and of himself without all of that? Well, John tells us, first of all, he says, in the beginning. One of the things that God is in, in and of himself before there anything, was anything else is that he is eternal. And by that we mean uh, before anything was, God existed, Right? He's the beginning. Uh, he's even before the beginning. Um, and this is really impossible for us to, to grasp because for us in our world and universe, everything has a beginning. And maybe if you have children, you know, they ask you, you know, where did I come from? Mommy, well, where did mommy come from? And we go back, you know, about 100 questions. Well, where did grandpa, 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 great grandpa come from? Well, from great, 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 great grandpa, right? And finally, we get all the way back to Adam. Well, where did Adam come from? Well, he came from God. Well, where did God come from? Have you ever been through this conversation? Well, God did not come from anything. He is the original. He is without source. Right? He is what we call the uncaused cause. He just is. He just was. He's always been. He never came from anywhere. He's always existed. And, of course, thinking about that just uh, fries our brain. Um, and and it's, it's fun to you know, mess around with people who believe in science and who believe, well, I might believe in science, but who, who worship science, I should say, uh, because uh, if you ask them, is it possible for anything to not have a beginning? 
right? Is it possible for anything to just come from nothing? And they would say, well, of course not. Everything has to be a beginning, has to have a beginning, has to have a source, right? So you ask them this question, well, then where did matter come from, right? Well, they have two options. Either it's eternal, it's always been, or it came from somewhere. But everything in science points to its beginning, that it was not eternal. And uh, everything in science shows that it will be destroyed. It can be destroyed. It can't have an end. Therefore, matter cannot be eternal. So you ask them, where did it come from? Right? Well, there's, there's no answer in science. Uh, but, of course, the Bible says that God was in the beginning. Right? He's eternal. He's without source, without origin. Uh, and there really is no other option. Right? You, you, everything has to have a beginning, but at some point, something had to be the first that's without origin. And that's what we believe is God. And that's what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So God's eternal. Uh, secondly, it also says that God was Word. Now, eternal uh, definitely sounds like something of God's inherent essential being. It's what He was before anything existed. But Word is an interesting one. Right? What do you think of when you think of the word Word? God was in the beginning. The Word was in the beginning. And if you know a little bit about Greek, you know the word there is logos. And there's all kinds of theories and speculations and whole books written about what logos is. And I, I really, uh, I, I don't want to get into all of that. But, but essentially, Word, however you define it, Word is essentially speaking. It is communication. It's declaration and it's revelation. Okay, we use words, we, we speak, we talk, we communicate. Right? So if all there was in the beginning was God alone and nothing else, why would John describe him as word? All right? Speaking, communicating, dialogue implies what? You're not alone. Right? You're not alone. Uh, but yet, John uses word to describe God and his very essential being. Before there's anything else, he was word. He was communicating. So, of course, the question is, who is he speaking to and who is he communicating with? Like, were there other gods out there that he was chatting with? I mean, who was he talking to? Well, we'll see in a minute that there, there really there cannot be any other gods. He is God alone. Um, so what it means is, is at the very least, God was talking and communicating with himself. Right? God was in conversation with himself. And it wasn't because he was crazy. Right? It's because speech and speaking is inherently a part of who he is. Communicating is at the core of who God is. God is a God who communicates, who thinks and has ideas, and he communicates and expresses these ideas in words. And this word was eternal. Uh, and John also describes this eternal word as, as person. He calls him a him, not an it. It's not a force. It's not just God's speak, but it's, it's person, Right? In the beginning, it was the Word, and He was with God, it says. Um, so that's part of what God is in His essential being. And there's probably a lot we could say about that, but um, it would cause all of us to be confused, so I won't go there. Um, but He's Word. Uh, another thing that we can get out of these verses, God's essential character and nature, is that He is independent. Right? And what we mean by that is in His infinite, eternal nature, he was uh, fully self-contained and self-sufficient. Right? God was not what we call a contingent being. He didn't rely on or need anybody else or anything else. God was to himself everything he needed. Um, 
He was all there was, and He was all that He needed. This is a really important one because oftentimes people get these ideas that you know God created the world because He was lonely. Right? He needed friends. Um, uh, that's not true. Right? Right? That is not His essential nature. Uh, John makes it clear that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, what does he mean by that? That the Word was God and at the same time was with God. Um, well, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But for now, what we need to understand is that God was to himself everything he needed. Okay, God was to himself everything he needed. Uh, he didn't have to create the world so that he had somebody to talk to. Right? He could have conversation and dialogue in himself. Uh, he did not create angels and men because he was lonely and needed a friend. Right? He does not need you or I. He could destroy every living thing and he would still be fully content and happy and uh, all that he is without us. Um, kind of a spin-off of this truth is uh, John, John tells us that uh, not only um, that God did create, right? So he, he was before everything, but he, he created, uh, not because he needed it, but because uh, he wanted to, he chose to. Uh, and it says... Absolutely nothing exists that has its existence apart from God. Right? Everything was made, was made through him. And without him, verse 3 says, was not anything made that was made. So, so that means that God is the origin of everything and every being and every person. And what that means is that God is, God is and must be one and only being. Right? There can't be other gods out there. Okay? God was not talking to other gods. Because in order to be the one who is the source and origin of everything, there had to be a time when he was God alone, when nothing else existed but him, no other gods. Uh, some people might think, well, you know, why can't there be one God who's the origin of some things and other gods who were the origins, the creators of other things? Right? I mean, that worked for the Greeks, right? Uh, they thought of many gods who had their own little worlds and kind of all coexisted. Why isn't that possible? Well, for one, because the Bible says it's not, right? But beyond that, think about this. The reason it's not possible is because of the TV remote control, right? Uh, any of you ever fight over who gets the control of the remote? Right? They should call it the control of the remote, not the remote control. Right? The person with the button gets the, gets the what? Gets to pick what everybody else is stuck watching, right? And... Uh, my, my, my stepdad drives me crazy because he can never watch just one thing. He's one of those guys who's just always, you just try to get into a show and poof, <laughs> we're watching something else, right? Um, or another way to, to, to describe this, um, it, it, driving is, is very much, you would think, a solo activity. And if I'm driving, I've got my hands on the wheel. I'm in control, right? And that's true as long as I'm driving without uh, my wife in the car, right? <laughs> However, when my wife is in the car, I am no longer an independent being, right? Because, because she will say things like, well, why don't we go this way? Why don't we go here? I think you better slow down, right? Um, all of a sudden, now, and I have two choices when she says those things. I have the choice to do the exact opposite, to prove I'm in control, right? And stubbornness to go, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. Right? So then I'm asserting my independence, right? Not really, right? Because the only reason I'm taking that path is to react against her, right? She's influenced me. Not the way she wanted, but she's, I'm not, I'm not independent anymore. 
And of course, if I do what she says, then she'll know that she got her way and I, I didn't, right? So if I'm really smart, what I'll do is I'll get in the car and I'll say, well, we're going here. I think we should go this way. What do you think, right? Because I got my will in there. And then she can say, yeah, that sounds great. Um, or, or she tells me and I say, yeah, that sounds great, right? Either way, I'm no longer independent. Right? And that's the issue. Uh, if there's more than one God in the universe creating, they, they, they can no longer be independent. Right? That's my space to build. No, I'm going to build there. You build over there. No, that's my space, right? There can only be one God alone who is who's free and independent to make decisions and act on his own. Right? He's the source of everything, and there can't be another God. There's probably many more things we could say about God's inherent nature, but let's do one more real quick uh, that is really the most significant, I believe, and essential to his being uh, that, that was active and living and part of his who he was even before there was anything else. And that is the attribute of love. God is love. John tells us in one of his epistles, 1 John 4.16, he says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, he says. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. He says, God is love. Um, now, is this essential? In other words, if you're tracking with me, if I've already lost you already, well, I'm sorry. But if you're still with me, right, what I'm saying is his essential attributes are things that he is to himself. Right? He there are things that don't come into play later when he's creating. What I'm saying is that love is one of those things, right? That love did not come into operation or play like it was lying dormant and it got triggered when, when he created us and now he had an object to love. Okay, what I'm saying is, and what I think what John would, would say, as we'll see in a moment, is that love is, is, is essential. God is love in and of and to himself before he created anything else. Um, and so here's the question. Is it, is it even possible for God to be not a God of love? And I don't think so. Right? Of course, the Bible says he's a God of love, so that makes it not possible. But, um, um, but it really is essential. And, and, and again, let's go back to this idea of God being with himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he was in the beginning with God. Um, he is eternal, independent, self-sufficient, the one and only God, uncaused cause. But at the same time, John says, he, he's, he's describing these things, and at the exact same time, he says, he is with himself. Right? He's with himself. What is the relationship? What is this relationship of the Word and God? Um, well, clearly, John's made it clear that the Word in every way qualifies fully as God. Right? He was from the beginning. He was the source of all things. He was creator. Uh, he, he in every way, the Word qualifies as God. But this Word, it says, was with God. And we don't have to travel very far in Scripture to see um, and understand that what God is in himself is a God of relationship. God is with himself. God is inherently a God of relationship. And significantly, that relationship is described in Scripture as a father and a son. Okay? Verse 14. 
Okay, this word that he's talking about, it says this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's Jesus, right? And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. And so, so now it narrows it down. This word is not just abstract. It's not just being out there. It's the son. And the relationship it's describing is the son with a father. The word is the son and he relates to God as his father. Now, absolutely, God can only be one in being, right? It doesn't mean there's two gods. It doesn't mean that God, the Father, is one God and Jesus is a different God. Here we said, can't, can't do that. It's impossible. They are one in being, but within the one being who is God, he exists in distinct persons, right? Distinct personalities who can have relationship with each other. Uh, of course, we see later that the Holy Spirit gets put in the mix, so we call him a triune God. Right? One God in three persons, and they are in relationship. Uh, and what's the nature? What kind of relationship is this? Well, in John chapter 17, John puts, Jesus says it this way. He says, Jesus says, and now, Father, right? Okay, so Jesus addressing God as his Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right? Before the world existed. In other words, Jesus was in this father-son relationship long before anything was created. And they shared a certain glory together as father and as son from all eternity past. So the question is, what was this glory? What, what was the glory that they shared together? Was it fame? Right? Was it some brilliant light? Was it the radiance, brilliance of his holiness? Well, I don't, uh, certainly they shared those things. But I believe what, he, what he's referring to, the glory that he's talking about that they shared from before the beginning of the world, was a father-son relationship of perfect love and goodness. Right? I believe that is at the very core of God's being. He is love. And he is love because he is a father and a son in deep, intimate, personal, loving relationship. Uh, and that is the glory that they shared before all eternity and to which Jesus wanted to return. Right? To go back to the Father's bosom, to sit close to his heart and be in relationship with his Father. Um, and really, in, in our world, there really is no glory like the glory of a perfect loving relationship. And that's why, that's why romance books are billion, billions of billions of dollar industry, right? Because... People long for this, right? They long for a perfect loving relationship where two beings are everything to each other and there is no need of anything or anyone else, right? People, people, I mean, they, they, they flock this up. They, they long for this. They look for this. Every great romance is a story of this where two people fall so in love that they are everything to each other, Right? Uh, not just in romance, but in, in many of our great stories. If any of you are the Lord of, a Rings, Lord of the Rings fan, right? Frodo has this kind of friendships. Right? He's got Samwise Ganji, who is like loyal and devoted to him. And we read that, and that's what draws us into stories like that. Um, these people who have these kind of loving, sustaining relationships. But what John, I believe, is trying to say here is that God had this in himself. 
with himself as a father and a son long before he spoke anything into existence. Okay, so you with me on all that? Got that all figured out? Great. Right? That was easy, right? Um, next section we're just going to go through really quick. I'm just going to summarize the next few verses. It says, And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, became, uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay, real short. This is what this means. First, Jesus made everything, right? The Word, God made everything. Uh, and it says that he made us, and his life was the light of men. In other words, Jesus' very life fills us. We have life because he gave life to us from himself. And this life, he says, is the light of men. What that means is it's a revelation, right? The fact that our life is derived and comes from God is to us a revelation, we should know Him. We should, we should know He exists because our life comes from Him. But He also says that there's darkness. Um, and the darkness is not something He created that's in, opposed to the light, but it is the absence of light. Right? That's what darkness is. It's a place where the light doesn't shine. It is not received, where it's shunned. Uh, of course, the darkness cannot overcome the light. But he says that, that there is a world where darkness reigns. And when he talks about the world, he's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about the spiritual realm of men who have rejected God. We have shunned the light. We have turned away his revelation. And sin has plunged us into darkness because we rejected the light. Um, so he said because of all that, there needs to be a witness to point us to the light. When Jesus came, it was not obvious that, hey, the light has come. Right? Because of our blindness and because we were in darkness, we needed witnesses like John to point to him and say, this is the light. And to this day, the world still needs those witnesses. Right? It's still our task and our job to point people to Jesus because they do not see him on their own. They need us to point to him, to witness to him. Um, Even his own people, it says, did not receive him. Even his Jews rejected Jesus when he came to them because they, they didn't know who he was and refused to believe who he was. But then John, uh, John writes these amazing words. But to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, like we sang this morning, right? He gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Um, bottom line of all that is it shows us why God created. God created a world that, that fell into sin and darkness, that did not receive the light. But God says, for those who will believe, those who uh, receive him and believe in his name, he will make you his children. He will make you his children. You will be born of God. Um, in other words, 
God in all eternity past lived as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a, in a wonderful, intimate family of three. Uh, and he didn't need anything else. He was everything he needed to be in and of himself. But he created us because, not he needed to, but he wanted to extend that circle and he wanted a bigger family. He wanted more children. Uh, children who would not be like Jesus, who were God, but children who he could adopt as, as sons and daughters, who would be in his, in his family circle of love. Right? Um, and if we believe in him, the love that the Father and Son share together, we get to share an experience with him. All right, so that's, that's kind of one side of it. Okay, it's talking about who God is in this, in this incarnation equation. The incarnation means that God became man. Right? Uh, God, the God of all eternity, uh, joined his nature with human flesh. Of course, the second side of it is that he, is that he was man. He became flesh. And so John says that in John among us. in verse 14. And I'm not going to go into great detail with this. We'll look at it more next week when we look at Jesus' birth how he was really born a real person. Uh, but the point of it is all this, that the eternal God who was uh, the Word came to earth and he took on fully human flesh. Uh, human flesh and blood. Um, so that uh, as the Son on earth, walking in a human body, he prayed to the Father who was still in heaven. The Holy Spirit came down upon him at his baptism. And we saw and we looked in the last few weeks how the Holy Spirit gave Jesus power and directed him. And Jesus fulfilled his ministry through the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, but in all of that, he was fully God. Um, now, I don't get how this works. How does an infinite, eternal spirit, God, who is essentially the beginning of all things, how does he become a human being? I don't know. But he was fully God. Nothing in his essential nature or being was diminished or lost. Right? When he became flesh, he retained everything it meant for him to be God. Uh, he may have uh, set it aside temporarily and not used it, but it was there. But he, he became flesh. He was also fully human. He took on in every way a nature and a body just like ours. And that's the incarnation, right? Fully God, fully man, born in the stable so many years ago in Bethlehem. So how does this help us celebrate? Well, if you're like me, mostly what this does is just make me really confused, right? Trying to wrap my head around all this, it just makes my brain hurt, right? So where's the celebration? Well, let's look at verse 16. And I hope in verse 16, we went through all that to get to verse 16, which I hope will help us celebrate. Right? He says this, For from His fullness, that is Jesus, from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What is the fullness of Jesus that He's talking about here? Well, I believe what He's describing or what He's talking about is the fullness of the Incarnation. Not just that Jesus was fully God. Because if that was all that was required, Jesus wouldn't have had to come to earth. The Word would not have had to have been born in human flesh if the fullness of His 
eternal existence of the Word was enough to extend to us grace upon grace. But it was not enough. Uh, he also had to become fully human. And so when full God became full man, 100% of both, he became full in a new way. A fullness that made possible his grace. Um, a fullness that does not uh, in any way take away the nature of God or the nature of humanity. Um, the only exception in that he was human is that he did not sin. Right? Which doesn't actually make him less human. It makes him the perfect fulfillment or ideal of what we were created to be. Um, and, and fullness has this idea. It could be described as the state of having every necessary part or component to accomplish a mission or a task. Right? In this fullness, Jesus had every necessary part and component to fulfill the mission that God had sent him on in order for his grace to be poured out on us. Because on the one side, he was fully God, eternal, infinite, perfect, without sin or blemish, right? without beginning or end. At the same time, he was a man who had a real body, who lived a real life that could die. And, and here's what the Incarnation did for us. It took the eternal, infinite God and put him in a human body so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Right? That's his grace upon grace. So that all who believe on his name would have the right to be called the children of God. Is that something to celebrate? Wow, is that something to celebrate? And, and why would God do this, right? Why would God unite His eternal, infinite being with the, the limited, finite, death-bound body of a human being? Right? Why would He be born in a stable where, you know, all He could do is, like, spit up <laughs> and sleep? Right? Well, because that was the only way He could be have the fullness to extend to us grace upon grace. The abundant, inexhaustible supply of God's grace in the cross and beyond. Um, see, his birth is not just a cute story. Right? It's so much more if we will uh, let ourselves sink into the depths of who God is. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.